Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's Sermon on the Mount teaching in Matthew 5, 31 through 37, called The Law of the King 2. What the law is all about is justice. None of us want to be treated unjustly. None of us want to be murdered. None of us want a family member murdered, and nor do I want anybody hating me in their heart. None of us want someone to sleep with our spouse, nor do we want someone lusting after our spouse. Amen? We want to be treated justly and fairly. Category number one in Matthew 23, 23, linking to the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I want you to see the second category. It's mercy. That will come at the end of Jesus' sermon, which will be for next time. Notice the third category is faithfulness. Now, faithfulness will deal with the next two issues. And I know I'm giving a lot to you, but let me just try to slow down and set this up. As Jesus is bringing up these issues, he's covering six things. He covered murder and adultery. In this particular section, this is not by my choice, by the way. This is Jesus' sermon. He deals with divorce and oaths or vows that people take. And Jesus is going to address the topic, look at Matthew 23, 23, of faithfulness. That's the broader category. Love is about justice, mercy, and faithfulness. This is a good way to walk out layers of what love means. Love is not, back to Matthew 5, necessarily a feeling. We all enjoy the feelings, and it's wonderful to have feelings of love. But love is a decision Love is how you treat people. You can tell somebody all day long that you love them, but if you treat them poorly, they shouldn't believe you because you've demonstrated in your actions and perhaps even in some of your words that you don't really love them. Love is how you treat somebody. That's how Jesus can tell us, love your enemy, and you can still love them. You might not have the feelings, but you can still treat them with dignity and respect. You may lack feelings for a spouse at this moment or a family member or someone who's a friend or a business partner or a neighbor, but you can still treat them with dignity even if the feelings aren't there. That's what Jesus says is the law and the prophets. And he says, by the help of the Holy Spirit, whom he would send, we will have the help from heaven to do what he says. You've heard it said, but I say to you. I want to know what my king has to say to me. And after setting that foundation that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill, he gets into murder, to adultery, and now to divorce. And I would say to you that these are all interlinked, but the broader category is faithfulness. Why did Jesus go here? This isn't one of the Ten Commandments, although there's implications from adultery and not coveting someone else's wife. Why did he go here? In verse 31 of Matthew 5, let's read the verse. He says, it was said, or you've heard that it was said, or maybe you hear this round town or in the rabbinical circles of academia. Whoever sends his wife away 
let him give her a certificate of divorce. Maybe you've heard this, and what is this based on? This is one section in the Old Testament. If you're taking notes, it's Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. This is the only place where we find this in the Old Testament. And this idea of a certificate of divorce was being addressed by two schools of rabbis, two uh, strains, if you will, or uh, teachings of rabbinic schools. This would just be like famous rabbis of the day who wrote on this. One was a school of Hillel, H-I-L-L-E-L, and one was a school of Shammai, S-H-A-M-M-A-I. The school of Hillel said this, if your wife over-seasons your food, over-salts your eggs, undercooks your eggs, or if you find another woman that's more desirable to you, you may divorce your wife. Basically, for any reason at all, all you need is a certificate, which you can get on the internet, uh, for $9.99, right? Now, you all know the internet wasn't around there at that time because Al Gore hadn't invented it yet. But anyway, I digress. So you get this certificate, and what would happen? This is my understanding of how they would do it. The guy would take the certificate. He would take it to his rabbi. Let's say it's Rabbi Hillel. Rabbi Hillel would say, what's the problem? Oh, well, I don't like the way she looks anymore, and she doesn't cook my food right. And he would stamp the certificate, if you will, and the guy would go home and say, honey, bye-bye. He would send his wife away. Now, Josephus, the first century Jewish historian who was involved with Rome and wrote about the first century war and so forth, said these words. Women had no right to divorce in that culture, only the men. So if your husband came home with a certificate of divorce and said, you're out of here, and Rabbi Hillel says it's kosher, you're out, then the woman would have to fend for herself in that culture. What were her options? She probably was not the breadwinner because she probably stayed home to raise children. And she was sent away with basically maybe even going into poverty. What were her options at that point? Well, her options were to try to find another man to marry so she could be taken care of. Now, this will make sense of the next verse. Take a look with me. This is verse 32. I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. You got that? He puts her in a situation in a first century context where her options are few. And this could be a contemporary example. A woman is a stay-at-home mom. The husband decides he wants a divorce. She's not worked because she's raising his children. Now he wants a divorce, so he boots her out. He's got another woman in his life. And what does she do? Well, she's got to try to scramble to pick up the pieces. So this could be very contemporary as well. Jesus is addressing a very specific situation happening among the religious elite of the day. In fact, some of the people standing listening to his sermon may have been on their sixth or seventh spouse, felt that they were okay according to the law because the rabbi had stamped their certificate and made it official. Now, the school of Shammai was a more conservative school. They said, he said, there was only one reason to divorce. That would be sexual immorality or adultery. 
I've heard some teachers say that they said you have to divorce as a result of that. And that obviously is not biblical. We'll get to that in a moment. But that is what's going on. There will be a wider teaching that Jesus gives on this topic in Matthew 19. So I'll save some of the details for a sermon ahead of us. But I just want to say this to you, that essentially what Jesus did in Matthew 19 is say this. Moses permitted you to do this, certificate of divorce, because of your hard hearts. But this was not God's plan from the beginning. God made them male and female. He'll quote from Genesis twice in Matthew 19. And said, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, Jesus makes an appeal back to Genesis. And let me suggest to you that in a New Testament picture, Jesus has told us what marriage is about. Marriage is a picture of what? Christ and his church. The king and his bride. So if we have a flippant attitude about marriage and divorce, then what we do is muddy the picture of Christ and his bride. Now we live in a broken world. And as I look around the room, and I know people are watching and will listen to this later, there is a lot of hurt. And this particular word, divorce, stirs up all kinds of emotion. Because we live in a culture where divorce has become largely the norm. And some of us have been in very difficult situations, very complicated situations. And I do not think that Jesus is giving a full teaching on all that goes with this topic right here. I think this is a very specific, targeted address. For example, in 1 Corinthians 7, 7.15, if you're taking notes, Paul says that if an unbelieving spouse leaves a believing spouse, the believing spouse can let them go, and they're not in bondage in that situation. What does that mean? I believe that means they're free to remarry. And Paul, by the Holy Spirit, releases people who had an unbeliever leave them, maybe because of their faith or whatever might be going on. And they are no no longer bound to that marriage. So there's at least one other additional reason for divorce. Amen? Now, let's take some very complicated issues. Let's say that there's a relationship where there is abuse going on. Or let's take an extreme example. Let's say that a woman's married to a man and he goes off and he murders seven people, gets a lifetime sentence, no death penalty. He's in prison for the rest of his life, convicted murderer. He didn't commit adultery. So does she have to stay married to him for the rest of her days? And he's never getting out. And is she bound to that man? Let me just say to you that good scholarly minds have really wrestled with Is Jesus saying it's this and this and that's it? Or are there implications of situations? Let me me say to you, if you're a pastor or a counselor and you've read these words of Jesus and you get a difficult situation, we can't be so quick to make blanket statements. Because the way that you would treat others hopefully is the way you would want to be treated if you were that woman with the murderer in prison for the rest of his life. 
You've been listening to the Walk in Truth program. Hey, listen, family, Pastor Michael here. Hey, I wanted to just take a moment to celebrate something that the Lord has done, and he's done it through you. Those of you who pray, those of you who give, we are now adding a radio station in San Diego. It is 106.1 FM and 1210 AM K Praise, and we are now adding a morning drive time at 5 AM. 5 a.m. Monday through Friday, and we're going to be on Sunday mornings at 6.30 a.m. And we are so grateful for all of you who have been praying, those of you who have become have become Walk in Truth partners. We've walked through a new door, and we want to walk through more. So if you want to learn more about how to partner with us, it's walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. But we just wanted to say a big thank you and give glory to God for this new radio station. I pray the Lord does wonderful things through it in His name. Amen and amen. Thank you to all our Walk in Truth financial partners. And be sure to check out our Walk in Truth app, available in your app store. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. He's in prison for the rest of his life, convicted murder. He didn't commit adultery. So does she have to stay married to him for the rest of her days? And he's never getting out. And is she bound to that man? Let me just say to you that good scholarly minds have really wrestled with, is Jesus saying it's this and this and that's it? Or are there implications of situations? Let me, let me say to you, if you're a pastor or a counselor and you've read these words of Jesus and you get a difficult situation, we can't be so quick to make blanket statements. Because the way that you would treat others, hopefully, is the way you would want to be treated if you were that woman with the murderer in prison for the rest of his life. So we have to make sure we're wrestling with the scriptures and even the implications of the scriptures. On the other side of this, I would say to you, if we get too, uh, you know, willy nilly with what the Bible actually says, and people are marrying and divorcing left and right, and let me just say to you that from a big picture standpoint. Most divorces do not happen because of extreme cases. Amen? Most divorces happening in America have to do with things like this. I'm dissatisfied. We have irreconcilable differences. I don't like the way the person looks anymore, treats me anymore. We lack romance. We lack intimacy. You can make your list. And if one of those hits your list... Let me just say that you made a vow. Do you remember going to the altar, for those of you who are married, and on your wedding day, you're not even really listening to the preacher, which I have personal issues with, but that's a second, <laughs> secondary issue. And you go up to the altar, and this, the pastor runs through vows. Uh, all right. You promise to love. You promise to be committed to fidelity, to honor and cherish uh, I love you for the best days and for better and for worse. So a couple comes into a pastor's office, Alistair Begg telling the story. They want marriage counseling. And they, all, they start, you know, well, this is what's going on. And if only, and if she, and if he, and, and this and that. And Alistair Begg says, do you remember the vows that you took? For better or for worse. Right now, how would you categorize your marriage? For worse all right, well, you still have your vow. <laughs> have a nice day. Alistair said that's why people never come to him for counseling. 
I don't recommend that that's what we do. There's some very real issues that we have to work through in our marriages, right? But marriage is a picture of the king and his bride. And our call is to love the way that God has loved us. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves his church. Now, if the Lord only loved me on my good days, I have a lot of worse days during the week. Anybody else out there? Maybe your last week you had some bad days. God doesn't only love you on the good days. He loves you because he's decided to love you and you're in a covenant with him, the new covenant. So Jesus is addressing a very emotional topic, a topic that later when they ask him about it, it's a question to try to trap him. There were liberal views and hardline views about it, but all that really matters to us is what Jesus says because he's my king, amen? And my call is to please him. Now, let me say something else about this idea of infidelity because Jesus does say in verse 32, look at it again. I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for the cause of unchastity, the uh, NIV has marital unfaithfulness, ESV ground on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let me talk about adultery for a second. Um, I know these are not easy topics, but here's where we are. Let's say adultery has happened in a marriage and a spouse has been unfaithful. While that could be grounds for divorce, that doesn't necessitate divorce. In other words, couples can make it through infidelity. As hard as it is, as much as it does fracture trust, trust can be rebuilt with repentance, with restoration, You don't have to divorce because there's been adultery. Jesus is saying this is grounds for divorce, but it doesn't mean you have to divorce. Go back with me to the book of Hosea. Most of you know Hosea was a prophet. He was called to marry a woman who would be unfaithful to him. And she did just that. He had a couple kids with her. And then she went off and got herself in trouble. She was with other men. Some believe that she became a prostitute. And in Hosea chapter 3, Hosea literally has to buy her back. Some believe from a pimp. Some believe from getting herself in trouble where she was sold into slavery. Whatever it may be, she was unfaithful. He has to show up at, at this place and buy her back. He pays for her again. And then she comes home and he says these words. I'm paraphrasing. This is Hosea chapter 3 if you want to go back and look at it this week. He says, now that you're home and I've bought you back, please don't cheat on me anymore. And God says that he called Hosea to marry a wayward wife to illustrate his love for his people Israel who were constantly going wayward and he continued to reach out to them and love them. This is captured in Hosea 11.8 and I believe the Lord laid this verse on my heart perhaps for someone. God says, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? Could I put it this way? Hosea 11.8. How can I send you away? Even though you cheat on me. Even though you go and worship other false gods. Even though you put other priorities before me and hurt my heart. How can I send you away? And I really believe that we need to let those words sink in a little bit because those are the words of, of our king. That is his love. 
I know there are many complicated situations, but I just want to say to you, we shouldn't take a flippant attitude either because Jesus' words are very straightforward. And you might say, well, what if I was a believer married to another believer and we divorced and there was no adultery and nobody abandoned the other person? What do I do now? Well, you repent and you do your best to repair things as is appropriate to the situation. I wish I could fill in all the, the blanks here, but I will just say this. If they've remarried another person, I don't believe the Bible's calling you to divorce a spouse and go back to the first marriage and all of that. I think Deuteronomy 24 makes that clear. But I think we should be thinking hard about our vows, about what we say before God when we invoke the name of God and not take them lightly. Because Jesus' words are pretty solemn. And if we're going to stand before our king and be responsible for what we vowed to, would to God that we take it a little bit more seriously than perhaps many do in the church culture and our culture. I can't do a more exhaustive treatment. I'll do more on Matthew 19. But let's move to the second category. That is vows. And you can see how this will tie to what we just talked about. Again, you've heard the ancients were told... You shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. This is the gist of several Old Testament texts, Leviticus 19.12 being one of them. You've been listening to The Law of the King 2, Part 2, on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's Sermon on the Mount teaching in Matthew 5.31-37. And if you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is always available on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many other podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. And would you please tell a friend about Walk in Truth? We hope today's teaching will be a blessing and uplifting to someone you care about. Would you please encourage a friend or family member to listen to Walk in Truth on this station? If you're listening through your podcast app, please click the share button. Thanks so much for spreading the word about Walk in Truth. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Okay, let's talk about just real life. Let's say that you've cheated on your spouse. And if you could change it, you would, but you can't, right? You can't take it back. You can't undo it. It's done. And now you're wondering, how do I fix it? How do I fix my family? What do I do now? And it's complicated because number one, it's a sin against God and your spouse. But number two, trust is now broken, right? People even have questions about confessing and and what do I do now? And once again, as I said yesterday, an electronic voice can only take you so far, right? I can say some things on this radio broadcast, but you need to go to the Lord, first of all, and go to local church leadership. And if you're not part of a local church, that's part of the problem, right? You don't have shepherds over you. You don't have someone to go to uh, give you wisdom and accountability. Well, then obviously that's something you've got to do. You could go to a Christian counselor. That could help. But to answer the question, however you fix sin is to repent of it and to make amends as you can and walk in humility, ask for forgiveness, and try to move forward. Let me say that again. If you want to be healed from a sin, you need to repent of it, which means change your mind and your actions, 
turn around, don't go back there again. And if you're serious about repenting, you're going to cut off anything that's stumbling you. You're not going to leave it there for the next temptation. You'll, you'll take some serious action to make sure that that's not going to be available to you anymore. That's repentance, my friend. And then you're going to go and you're going to repent before God. You, you'll repent to that person. You'll make amends and you'll try to chart a course of healing. Again, your local church is the best place to start. If we can pray for you in any way, you can reach out to us in the comment section at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. We also have a number where pastors are available Tuesday through Friday, uh, Pacific time hours. Of course, we'll have some exceptions on holidays and stuff like that. So this is the number. It's 844-48-TRUTH, 844-48-TRUTH. So take advantage of either the website or that phone number. I'll give them to you one more time, walkintruth.com or 844-48-TRUTH. This is Pastor Michael. Have a blessed weekend, and we'll see you right here, Lord willing, on Monday. We appreciate our Walk in Truth financial partners. You contribute to our ministry, broadcast, and podcast. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. you got to check it out. It's available in your app store. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. And join us Monday for part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 5, 31 through 37, called The Law of the King 2. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.